0: Welcome to episode 17 of Learning with Young Leaders. Moving forward, we release an episode every alternate Wednesday, where we share stories and experiences of young leaders for you to learn from their experiences and how they set themselves up for success. Listen in to hear how many of these guests discover their passion and drive in life that allows them to do well at what they love best. In this episode, we have Pablo, co-founder of Tech, a Canadian prop tech startup that's working on the blockchain-enabled platform to make real estate transactions of any kind fully digital. Pablo shares about his international exposure, how he manages uncomfortable situations, why it's important to stay true to yourself, and much more. Do subscribe to our podcast for the latest episodes and support us by sharing this with whoever will benefit from it. If you wish to connect with like-minded individuals, do join our LinkedIn group as well. Now, let's hear from Pablo. Hi, Pablo. Welcome to the show. We're excited to have you on our episode today.
1: Thanks, Marcus. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah, I mean, really excited because you're one of like the first few international guests that I have on on the podcast. I mean, my previous episodes were mainly from from where I am, like Singapore. And yeah, it's really interesting to have like some sort of international perspective into into our podcast. So can't wait to learn from your experiences. And you mentioned that you're actually situated in Spain currently, right?
1: Yeah, I'm actually now I'm in Madrid, where most of my family is. But I'm typically based either in Toronto or in London. So I mean, you got the international part, right? I, I move around quite a bit.
0: Yeah, I mean, that that's really interesting. And why don't we start off by, you know, letting the guests know a bit more about yourself and how you got to where you are now? Because I understand that you're actually the founder of Tech, right? It's a real estate um, sort of company. But why don't you tell us a bit more about how you actually got to where you are today?
1: Sure, I'd love to. So, I mean, as as I mentioned before, I I have moved around quite a bit. If I go way, way back, I, I was born in Mexico, then lived in the US. Most of my schooling in Europe, between Spain and Switzerland, and then I did my studies in Spain, where I did a double bachelor in law and finance. And so following my so throughout my university, I, I was mostly interested in, let's say the the financial aspect of, of things. I come from a, from a family that's been very much into finance, both nationally in Spain and then also internationally. And I had all sorts of internships. I did investment banking, I did strategy consulting, I did equity brokerage, I did uh, structured finance. Uh, And towards the end of my career, I was um, attracted to strategy consulting, right? I liked the idea of making decisions that, or helping people make decisions that uh, would impact the business and everyone in it, as well as the, let's say, the environment around it. And my first job outside of university was actually as a strategy consultant for Monitor, who, I don't know if if you know, um, I'm sure you've heard of Porter's Five Forces. So Monitor was his firm, the firm that he founded back in the day. Ironically, I mean, it was a firm that kind of didn't really figure out how to grow itself. And during the crisis, it went under and then it was acquired by Deloitte. So I was involved in a very special project or, or a very special time of the practice in Spain where they were setting up the Monitor brand. And, and yeah, and, and so uh, I was helping them sort of set up their practice. And, and I also, because I had more of a financial background, I was helping financial institutions and this was following the crisis. So um, I was, I mean, maybe saying that I had an active part in kind of shaping uh, what the industry looks like today is a bit of an overstatement, but I was definitely a witness to that. And so I very, it's a job that I really enjoyed. I'm still in touch with, with my team and had uh, great experiences. But very quickly after I joined, I was scouted by Goldman Sachs to join their investment management division in London. And it was actually funny because at first I said, well, look, I I just joined and I'm very happy where I am. And they were like, no, don't worry, let's just have a conversation. Uh And I guess the rest is history. I mean, (laughs) I ended up moving to London and I spent the next uh, four to five years uh, working there. And it was, it was a great experience. The, I mean, the institution, I think, requires very little introduction or, or background, but it really kind of made me, in a way, to in, into what I am now. And it was, I mean, I, I went through kind of the, the Greek crisis, the, the Chinese crisis, there's all sorts of market movements and things that uh, they call sort of one in, a li- one in a lifetime thing. So I was very privileged to experience that and finally kind of also managing the whole Brexit situation from the inside. And here, I guess I was always in an advisory role, even throughout the, from the consulting to the financial roles that I've had, just in different aspects to it. So I guess my mind was very much built or or prepared to kind of identify things that could be improved and and that could actually go better. And that brings me to kind of 2017, where I met my co-founder, Miguel, who at the time was doing an internship in my team. And and that's, I guess, where my current project started, where what started as a lively conversation ended up in us kind of putting our money where our mouth was and taking on the, this project, which, again, was something that was very unexpected, I think, for for, for all of us and, and everyone around us. But as we sort of got validation for our idea and our initiative, we just started putting the work in. And so at first, it was Miguel who was sort of running with it, and I was uh, helping on the side. And it was last year that I actually sort of took the leap and started and said, okay, let's go do this. And and ever since I joined, we've had a very good um, trajectory. I mean, it seems like it was ages ago, but in the last 12 months, we were kind of invested by Techstars, which is a large tech fund in the US who partners with kind of industry leaders in in different verticals. In our case, it was in, in PropTech in Toronto, we raised our our pre-seed round in convertible debt. We started working with large corporations and we are now sort of, um, we're also invited to join the Creative Destruction Lab and the blockchain vertical, which is a technology that we are very much focused on for those. I mean, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Creative Destruction Lab, but it's, let's say, an association more on the academic side that works with the... HEC Oxford University and the University of Toronto to select ventures from from all around the world and kind of uh, accelerated giving them exposure to the foremost experts to give you an example of a project that they were very much involved in I don't know if you re- remember Libra which was the cryptocurrency that Facebook was I looking see. to launch in collaboration yeah with with other large corporates right so again, We've, we've had a lot of traction. We're very excited. We're a small organization still at Tech but growing. As of today, there's around 10 of us. And we're split kind of between Canada, where we're based, and we have our development in Europe. Uh, we have a great team uh, that's delivering great results. And that's sort of how we, we got until now. And I guess that, I mean, the, the future is always uh, uncertain, but given the current times, even more so. So it just... Um, keeps things more exciting.
0: Wow, well, that, that's a, a lot of take-in and it's super interesting so I picked up a few things and I think one of the things I wanted to ask was you mentioned like the unexpectedness of like what developed and what evolved right? So why why was it like an unexpected thing that sort of led to where you are now?
1: I mean, to be completely honest, we weren't the type of people Uh, I think we made a lot of unexpected decisions, right? So I think people around me didn't expect me to sort of go from one of the top financial institutions in the world to go and try and launch my own thing, especially not having a technical background, right? And that's a comment that we've gotten a lot at the beginning. But well, if you guys aren't developers, what are you doing developing this, right? Like how, how, how are you doing this? And so in a way, also, we ourselves didn't expect to be taken seriously. And I think that that gave us a certain humility in terms of, call it humility, call it imposter syndrome, but we actually worked very hard at it and we were very honest about everything we did. And so we had to kind of prove ourselves maybe that that little bit more. And I think that one of the main learnings or, or lessons that we got from that is that we are starting to see technology less as kind of the, the value itself and more as a tool, which is what it is, right? Technology enables us to do stuff. And so it, what's more, I mean, the technology is super valuable and we're sort of going into deep tech with, with blockchain and, and cryptography and, and sort of very complex systems. But we just need to not lose sight or we, we've never lost sight of what it is we're trying to achieve or who it is we're trying to help and And the why is a lot of time more important or or stronger than the how because you can you can do things different ways, but you'll always have one reason why you're doing things,
0: yeah, I really like that i I just happened to be reading the book by I think Simon sinek of like start with why and he he mentioned like how yeah, great book right how how you have to have a clear vision of your why and everything is just a manifestation of, of like working towards that angle right so yeah i really like that but so you mentioned that you didn't have like the technical expertise and everything when you first started so how do you go about overcoming
1: those challenges yeah and and it sounds like a like a cliche and, and uh, we were told this by a lot of people who had started businesses before and everything but the single most important thing that you will do or the biggest decision you will make is who you team up with and, and who you associate yourself with, right? And so here again, we had to, we were, I guess, I mean, in, in a way, we're extremely lucky to connect at an early stage with a really good team. And we have one of our partners is is kind of the, the person who assembled our, our tech team. And uh, there's a very, and the reason why I say it's a very important decision is because especially us not having the technical ability or the time to achieve the technical ability to kind of audit the things that we've done it requires a a very high degree of trust right and, and trust is something that especially in, in sort of the venture world is is tossed around quite loosely but it, i think it really does make a difference like having a team that you can trust really allows me to be to be doing my job and not be worrying about their job And I think it's been one of the key cornerstones of our success up until this date.
0: I see. So that guy was brought on as an advisor, as a CTO, or what sort of a role did he play?
1: Yeah. So technically, like his role was more in the, let's say, in the product design and product management side of things. And because he had experience in the field and he'd done products for, he built and designed products for large institutions and and not so large as well and more on the avant-garde space, Mm -hmm. He had a great network of people that he trusted and he kind of leveraged that network in favor of this. But then again, going back to the why that you mentioned earlier, it was the why we were doing what we were doing that got him on board in the first place and nice. kind of made him. So he he was very much on board with us from the start. He just got the vision from the start. So we were all rowing in the same direction and that was a catalyst for trust and and that and the rest is kind of just pulling at that same thread and we weren't sure how we were going to do it but we knew why we were doing it so that everything just sort of followed
0: right i loved it and yeah so i just want to go back to a previous point which you mentioned when you were like shifting between countries you know like you were working in different places and then you you moved from different countries how was the transition like or what do you think were some of the more interesting experiences that you got from working on these different
1: countries? Yeah, so it's a great question and I think about it a lot. And I mean, if you think of yourself as the sum of your experiences, uh, in a way, it makes you very different to the people you see that they're there. For example, I have childhood friends that have remained with the same group of people uh, since school, up until now, their jobs even st- still work together. And at times you can, I mean, you, you get the temptation of being envious of that. But I think, I mean, for me, I've been incredibly lucky because I have a very rich um, tap network that I, can, that I can tap into, right? So some of the more tangible byproducts has been, for example, I, I speak uh, multiple languages and that was something that came out of necessity. And I mean, I think it's it's a conversation for, it's a fascinating topic and a conversation for, I think, a whole full episode for another podcast. But speaking different languages also allows you to think in different ways. And there's been a lot of stuff that's been written here. So again, it's it's a question of also putting yourself in uncomfortable situations and knowing how to manage that. So I think that one of the things that kind of I got that sets me aside is that I'm very comfortable being uncomfortable. Right. So I, I I can I'm fine with uncertainty. I'm fine with not knowing where I'm gonna be in a month because I guess I'm used to it in a way.
0: And how do you deal with that kind of uncertainty? Or what are some like mindset or like habits that you adopt to deal with being in uncomfortable situations?
1: Yeah. It's not easy. I mean and, and I'm not immune to kind of stress and, and, and I discuss this with my co founder Miguel a lot of the time and, and my family and stuff. And I think for me the key or the way that I deal with it, my framework is I have a very clear image of what I can affect and what I is outside of my sphere of control or, or, or power. Right. So it is completely useless and then a waste of energy for me to worry about things that I cannot do anything about, right? And I guess that the, sort of the next derivative of that is if I just keep busy at those things that I can change and that I can affect, the other stuff just become, becomes sort of background noise, right? And and so for me, it, it's a question of just keeping busy. I think a lot of time people are are stressed, and especially with the situation that we're living now, not ha- not having something to focus on and not having something to look forward to immediately in your progress that you can add to, I think it really does things to you. So keeping busy has been one of the key things for me. And and again, I have multiple hobbies and and a lot of things. I've done uh, a lot of sports. Uh, I I love to read. I I watch a lot of stuff as well, cinematic, non-cinematic, fiction, non-fiction, you name it. For me, it's been I guess the bottom line is just know what you can affect and what you can't, and uh, then once you know that, keep busy at what you can change.
0: So is there like an aspect of like goal setting or like set like goals you set for yourself in order to like achieve certain
1: things? yeah, and and look, and I think that and and I'm extremely demanding of myself and and my team and and sort of and what I, I do. And I think that one thing that you realize is, like most things in life, it's a trial and error thing. So you will set goals and, and realize. And a lot of times you will not know the full requirement or, or, or the whole cost of achieving what you want to achieve. So like to provide like a silly example, you say, okay, I want to become the best footballer in the world. And I'm sure that a lot of people have had that goal, right? Every, any footballer you ask will probably want them. But I don't think they are fully aware of the cost that that entails, right? Aside from the facts that of the, all the stuff that you can't affect. So let's say that the natural talent that you're given or that you are born with, uh, the opportunities and your surroundings and everything, once you, you may set a goal and then realize, well, maybe I'm not really willing to put all that work in or I, I didn't know it's going to be this hard. Uh, and that's fine. I mean, it, it's not a failure. I think a failure is more when you are chasing something that for a long time that you can achieve. And I don't really believe in, in sunk cost. Like the sunk cost fallacy just leads us to kind of exasperate ourselves and, and consume ourselves. But in terms of, of, of goal setting, yeah, definitely be very critical. Like I, I would recommend everyone that whenever they, they set like a list of goals and I'm a very big fan of like checklists and lists of things to do. I always sort of write a full list and then cross out a few things mm. because I just know that there's just not enough time in, in, in the day or in the week, or I just know that I'm just not going to get around to that. And and knowing that you're not going to like knowing your limit is something that will help you, manage your expectations and everyone else's expectations a lot better right
0: and you mentioned about being like comfortable in uncomfortable situations do you think that has played a part in like your decision making process or like the kind of um, perspectives you bring even into your like role currently
1: yeah absolutely so again Uncertainty is one of the things that uh, make a lot of people uncomfortable, right? And it even makes myself uncomfortable, not knowing what's going to happen, not knowing if I'm going to meet my goals. For me, I think the first time I kind of phrased or, or got to this like specific thought was in my time in London, it was a very hectic time and, and sort of I needed a, an outlet. And, and so I, I picked up amateur boxing. And so it was my coach, my boxing coach that explained to me that boxing was the art of being comfortable being uncomfortable and he quite literally meant this in the aspect of you're being sort of mauled by this guy who's trying to take your head off and how do you keep calm and make good decisions when everything around you is sort of coming down and I think that's a very tough let's say skill or or, or habit to to foster but if you do do that it will allow you to achieve a lot of things that maybe others will not be willing to achieve. Because again, we are, I think more and more driven to what to make the comfortable decision. And if you have that, that, that ability and that threshold, you will be able to power through situations that others won't be willing to. Right. So for me, it would have been a lot more comfortable to stay in my, in my corporate job at a great bank and a great team and where I was really well considered. But this idea made me very uncomfortable of, will I be able to make it on my own? Will, will, will this prosper? Will, is this the right team? And I think in, in a very financial aspect of it, kind of the, the risk reward binomial kind of tilts, tilts the, the, the scale in that favor, if you're able to power through things and, and have that, that threshold.
0: Right. So, so everybody should learn a bit of boxing to put himself in uncomfortable
1: situations. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, look, and and in my case, it's boxing. I don't, I mean, I love boxing. I think it's a great sport, very complete, but I'm not telling people to go out there and start hitting people. You can, you can use this. I I think running is, is another kind of metaphor that you can also apply to this, right? So how much are you, are you willing to to suffer? Right. And, And I think that also that's where you find that going back to the idea of limits it's a great way to find your limit so i don't know if if you're familiar with with david goggins who is um known as or has been uh, named as kind of the toughest man in the world and and everything and his like his like the moral of his story is that you're capable of a lot more than than, than you believe and sometimes you place your own limits so i mean don't take yourself so so seriously just go out there and try stuff and and be uncomfortable. And I promise you that the negative outcome that may come from it is nowhere as bad as you think it is, right? And you probably just end up learning stuff.
0: Yeah, it's also a concept I've I've come across recently is about just constantly putting yourself out of your comfort zone and not just like succumbing to the easy decisions. I think something as easy as like taking a cold shower in the morning works as well. Like just putting yourself in those kind of situations will help um, shape your thinking over time.
1: right? Uh, absolutely. And I mean, I encourage, I mean, again, within, within limits and, and within reason, but it's something that will set you aside from other people.
0: Right. And, Moving back to like the the startup journey, what do you think are some of the biggest um, learnings that you've amassed over the last twelve months? I mean, it, it's definitely not been easy, but I think you you've managed to hit a lot of like milestones along the way. And how do you think you were able to hit that? And what what do you learn, or what what do you think are the best um, advice you'd give, having gone through the whole journey?
1: Yeah. I think we, we've touched on quite a few of them. Like, I'd say that really, although it sounds as a cliche, the team is an essential thing. And it doesn't have to be a team of superstars, just a team of people that you can trust and that you're willing to be uncomfortable together, right? And making sure that you're on the same, going back to the why, that you're doing it for the same reasons. Right? That That's key. One of the And, and that was a key learning for me because... Compared to my team, I was the one with the most corporate experience. And so I came in with a very corporate mentality regarding some aspects. But then I realized this isn't just a job. This is really more than just work. And there was a a very personal aspect to this because there's a lot on the line that I had to uh, take care of these relationships and, and actually think about my team differently rather than if it was just my old one of my old teams back at a large corporation so that was something that I think that when we when I came to that realization I could actually start affecting a lot of the levers that that made the company reach the goals that we've reached so far and I, and I hope and I think that that's going to also help us get get further along because it just simplifies the conversation all that more so I've learned a lot in terms of working with people in different ways that I thought I had figured out, and and I had to kind of re-educate myself. Another thing, in term also is sort of just being honest. And and again, I'm not saying that uh, corporates are dishonest in any way, but you have to be comfortable showing everything. So just bearing everything to investors and and clients, right? Being very very clear about your limitations, very clear of what you can and can't do. And expectation setting is everything, right? So to give an example, when when you're raising money, for example, you should start by saying all, the th- all your shortcomings and all the issues that you are facing because that's what essentially the investor's money is going to go for, right? If you go there and tell them just how perfect everything is and how smart you are, they're going to be all, why, why do you need my money? And so then it, it kind of feels like you're hiding something from them or, or you're not being completely transparent. And the, the best conversations I've had are the ones where I've literally just been asking for help. And that's another thing that I've learned. You should always ask for help because worst case scenario, you just stay as you are because they won't help you and you'll have that same issue. But there is always a chance that that person will have something that's going to help you or we'll be able to connect you with someone who can help you. And that's a very uncomfortable situation saying, well, I'm doing this. And this are all, these are all the flaws and everything that I'm doing. You have to be pretty, you have to be confident in, in what you're doing and why you're doing it. And also just, just, be very honest with yourself. And, and a lot of the times, it's not a question of you hiding things, but you're not honest with yourself about the limitations and you think that what you have is better than than what it is. So in that sense, I, and I think there's a great book called uh, Red Teaming, which is um, talks about this technique where you always have inside an organization or in, even in your personal life, an exercise of kind of devil's advocate where you try and, and put holes in your plans and and, uh, and what you're doing. And that's a, a very... Useful exercise, I think, for everyone that can actually be applied to both personal and professional challenges.
0: I see. I, w- I was actually gonna ask about like decision making, which, which you brought up. So you mentioned that you had a more like corporate kind of mindset when it came to uh, when you entered the startup, right? So, and then you also mentioned about um, aligning your why to to the company's purpose. So when it came to making down decisions and deciding what to move forward with, did y'all kind of like align your decision-making frameworks to your end goal in that sense? Did that help you in um, eventually settling on what might have been best for the company instead of falling back to like corporate um, ways of doing things?
1: So that I mean, it's a great question. And um, there's a lot from my experience that we've leveraged and has turned out very positively right, in terms of uh, reporting rigor and diligence that is kind of very much ingrained now in in the financial culture. I think our case is, is particular, because in a lot of ways, we are like a meta company, in terms of that we look at how businesses work, because we provide tools for companies to be better companies. And specifically in the real estate space, we also try and apply a lot of the stuff that we research and, and, and learn every day to our own business right and, and that's I mean that's technically there's a term that's called dog fooding right uh, it's a great marketing term which means basically use your own techniques on yourself before uh, as a way to kind of prove to your clients that it works and that it's good and so one thing that we found generally in businesses and which was just coincidentally more accentuated in real estate business who ha- hadn't are kind of late to innovate is that a lot of people worked to service legacy processes that have been there for ages and not really questioning why they were doing it rather than having the process work for them to achieve their goals. So I guess in in our framework and we have no one framework, we always start with what are we trying to achieve here And and we start at every level. So Every time we have like a 20-minute meeting, we start with, okay, what do we want to get out of this meeting? We want to make this decision. We want to sort of come up with this message. We want to decide on whatever course of action. And that's sort of a guiding principle. There's, I mean, there are great frameworks out there and and frameworks are very much uh, in vogue because it's 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 uh, it's pure economics, right? You, you recycle a process and, and it sort of saves you the mental energy of having to come up with something from scratch. I would argue that it is useful to read this to see how frameworks are structured, but I think that in many things, it, the exercise of coming up with a framework is actually more useful than the framework itself, right? So it's a question of thinking things through. It's a question of observing every possibility. If you outsource the whole process to a pre-existing framework, you will be missing things. And sometimes you will get to points without knowing why or or how you got there. So with regards to decision-making, I guess that if I had to like say a couple points, it'd be always be clear on the why. And then be very critical about, I mean, again, and this is not rocket science, right. But be very critical of the actual motivations and the actual reasons why you're doing this. And I think that decisions just come when that sort of theoretical idea comes in contact with the resources that you have. And so then you will have to compromise because obviously, uh, not everything is possible, especially in a startup where your resources are very limited and your imagination is kind of going rampant because you have very little legacy, uh, and, and bureaucracy limiting you. So yeah, I think that it's one of those things where you need to have a process, no matter what it is, because going through the process will be probably more valuable than the output of the actual process. Okay. And iterate, always change it.
0: Yeah, that, that was really insightful. I really liked that, that explanation. Um, is there any question that I did not mention or is there any pointers that you want to bring up?
1: I mean with regards to kind of my, my startup journey, I think it, it it's not the, the typical startup journey. The main thing and and, and again I think we've the sector in and, and venture capital, and this is sort of my own view, have um are very set in a series of um habits and that will sometimes stop people being sort of natural about things right you will get into all these discussions of what's your market size and and suddenly uh, we've come to a point where unless your total addressable market uh, you can prove that it's above x billion dollars and that you can capture that in in two and a half years or or five years then you shouldn't have started a business i mean uh, if if you just stop and look at that sounds ridiculous but we've had that those kind of conversations I think being natural and being yourself is something that will get you a lot further in the long run than trying to jump through all the hoops that a lot of people are setting. And sometimes there's a lot of expectations for you to do and and be things that are sort of short-term gains rather than sort of just staying true to, to the why. So I mean I think I already covered quite a bit, and again I'm I'm new at this, and these these are just my experiences. But I think that in general things are simpler than than they seem, and sometimes it's just a question of putting the work and and making hard decisions. And if you just stick to it and, and focus, and don't worry about the noise that is around, because there's always going to be noise, and people are always going to tell you that it's too late, this has already been done. If I told you the number of times that I've seen competitors that have uh, seemingly cooler and, and more powerful tools and things that like what we are doing we've had a thousand opportunities to kind of throw the towel and say oh this is enough but just keep at it because in the end the, the further you go the more unique your project and your idea or what you're working on is going to be and um, it's, it's a truly rewarding experience And it's not for everyone but if, if you do it I mean try and enjoy it as much as possible
0: that that is so true and powerful. I mean, a lot of people they they kind of um, they get bitten down by the noise or like the, the inner voice of telling them, you know, they can't do it or they can't. It's always like they can't do something, right? And I think it's a pity because I think a lot of people they actually have a lot of potential to to achieve great things, but it's just that initial step that they are unwilling to take. So yeah, I I really like that that you shared that yeah. and. Yeah, I'd like to add, end off with this last question, which is um, what does success look like to you?
1: Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great question. And, and I think that there's a lot kind of written on this. I think I'm not sure what success looks like, but I think I'm pretty sure what, what it's not. And it's not what other people dictate or tell you. Right. Some people, if you're worrying about contenting other people, you're always going to find someone who you haven't contented and, and that's just going to make you miserable. You have to kind of set, set your own goals and eventually you will gravitate to an environment or, or, or a circle that will agree with you and, and that will do. Uh, for me, success is, and, and this is a, sort of a very, a very personal thing, is staying true to myself and not just, let's say, in the the spiritual and and sort of intellectual sense of the word, but being able to do what I set out myself to do. It's the the act of doing, not the act of achieving, right? So staying on the path that I want to stay and keep working at the things. And, And I guess in a way, for me, it's not giving up. For me, success is just not giving up. There's, there's. I mean, I don't know where this comes from, but I've I've seen it for for some time now, and it kind of stays on in, in the back of my mind. And it's a like a quote that says something like the people who say that they can do something and the people that say that they can't do something have one thing in common, and that's that they're both typically right.
0: That's really nice.
1: So again, I think we are our own biggest cheerleader the same way that we should be our own biggest cheerleader a lot of times we're the ones who limit ourselves the most so just go for it be uncomfortable and and try things out
0: awesome really like that both are right so it's a matter of like perspectives right like what you tell yourself you can or cannot it will eventually shape your your mindset in, in that specific way absolutely Right, okay. Yeah, I think that was was great. Thank you so much for this interview and yeah, hope hope everything goes well for you and hope Tech becomes like a a next big company that we'll see in the news.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Marcus. We'll we'll do our best. Keep an eye out.
0: We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Learning with Young Leaders. Be sure to rate, review and subscribe to the show And visit seconioriginal.com slash podcast for more resources based on today's topic. That's seconioriginal.com slash podcast. Until next time, stay curious, keep
1: learning.